hiding. But as long as you're hiding, he can't heal you. So he always calls you forth. He asks you to come out so that he can cover. Go to the book of Genesis. And I want to start in chapter 2, verse 25, reading it to you out of the New American Standard. The Bible says, And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Do you see that? The man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Now, Matthew, put up Romans 15. Now, I want you to notice here the very first part of Romans 15, 4. For whatever was written in earlier times was written for what? Our instruction. What the Apostle Paul is telling the Gentile church is this. Nothing that was written earlier was written exclusively for them or just as filler. Everything in the Bible has an intent and has a purpose. You can get blessed, believe it or not, reading First and Second Chronicles. The begots have a purpose. Everything has a purpose. Everything has an intent. The Holy Spirit didn't need just to fill pages, so everything that was written was written for our instruction. Now go back to Genesis 2, and let's look at that again. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Now if you would put up Genesis 3, because we're going to notice in a very short span of time between they were not being ashamed, we find something else. He said, this being Adam, I heard the sound of you in the garden. Now you know in the verses before this, the Bible tells us that Adam heard the sound of God coming into the garden. And we've taught on this before, if you weren't here, really what it means is he came in the spirit. When he says in the cool of the day or the wind, it's the same word for the spirit. God came into the garden in the spirit, riding the wind. And Adam, being who he was, not yet fallen, could see equally as well into the spiritual realm and the natural. He was in the world, but not of it, just like we are. So he could see into both realms. So when God would come in, he would come in in the spirit, but Adam could communicate with him. Now it says here, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. God coming into the garden was not a new thing. How do you know that? We know that because Adam had become so familiar with it that when he heard the sound before he caught sight, he knew who it was. Have you ever gone into a room after, you know, let's say it's your husband or it's your wife, or for me it was my grandfather when I was growing up. He always wore the same cologne. I became so familiar with that smell, I would know when he was in a room even if I didn't see him. You know what I'm talking about? Now you only know that after a time of becoming very familiar you can know the smell of someone. You can know Adam knew the sound. He had become so familiar with a common occurrence that when he heard the sound, he didn't have to catch the sight. He knew God's coming. So when he heard the sound, he knew God was coming. That was not a new occurrence. 
neither was it new that Adam was naked. He had always been naked. We just read he was naked and unashamed, right? But now, so God coming's not new. Him being naked is not new, but there was something new. Now he responded in a way he never responded before. He hid himself because he was afraid of what? Of something that he had not been ashamed of just a little while before. He hid himself because of his nakedness. Now here's what I want to say to you. The reason why the Holy Spirit told us is that he was naked and not ashamed is so that we would know what the, what the, the root of his fear was. You've heard me say this before, and I'm trying to lay the foundation. You've heard me say that if sin be a prison, shame be its bars. If sin be a prison, shame be its bars. Because if somebody feels guilty, the guilty will often be led to confession to relieve themselves of their guilt. So I want to say a feeling of guiltiness will often lead to confession. A sense of shame will always lead to hiding. Because those who are ashamed of what they've done, where they've been, or who they are will always hide the thing that they're ashamed of for fear that they be discovered, found out. You following me? If you're ashamed of something, you don't broadcast it, you hide it. Your shame results in a fear that anyone will ever discover who you really are. You following me? So Adam was ashamed of his condition. Now the word ashamed literally means this, and write this down, don't ever forget this. The word ashamed literally means a place of disgrace. A place of disgrace. Dis, D-I-S, means separation. For how many of you ever said, I'm disappointed? Because you thought you had an appointment with destiny, or with love, or with respect, or with something else. You had an appointed time for something to happen. When it didn't happen, you are separated from your appointment. That's disappointment. Disgraced means you're separated from grace. Adam in his shame, listen, I want to say this again. He had always been naked. But what he had not been before was separated from grace. He suddenly found himself in a place of no grace and that no grace made him be afraid of being exposed so he hid himself from God. Listen, this is why shame, shame, shame. You'll see it, if you read through the Psalms, you'll see it over and over and over and over and over again. David praying, Lord, let me not be ashamed. Because shame will cause you to hide from the very one who can apply grace and relieve you of your shame. 
Shame, I want to say it again. If one feels guilty, they will often be led to confession. But if one feels shame, they will always go into hiding. This is the reason why it's a barrier between us and God. Because if we feel ashamed, then we hide from God. We hide from the church. We hide in the church. But what we never do is let people know who we really are. Right? Once again, it's, it's interesting that when God, how many of you know that when God came into the garden, he knew where Adam was. And yet he called out, where are you? Here's why. Not because God needed to know. God knew. Adam had to expose himself before God could cover him. Everything that's written is written for our instruction. This is the reason why many times when we're seeking, when we have a place of pain or a place of shame in our lives, we want God to heal it without us having to expose it. And day after day and year after year, that place is, remains a place of pain. Because there's something about exposure that brings healing. And it's just like the enemy to threaten you with exposure if they ever really know. How many of you have ever quoted a portion of a verse? The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man or woman availeth much. Sounds good, doesn't it? Yet how many of you got, I mean, let's be honest, there seems to be a lot of praying without much availing. Why is it? Why is it that we do a lot of praying without a lot of breakthrough? It could be because we're only quoting a part of a verse, a part of a truth, not the whole truth. If you would, put, go to the book of James. James chapter 5, verse 16. James chapter, chapter 5, verse 16. Listen to this. Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that ye may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Do you notice that that portion of the verse is, does not stand alone? But it's in a setting of exposure. Do you see that? Let me read that same verse to you out of the Amplified. Confess to one another, therefore, your faults, your slips, your false steps, your offenses, your sins. And pray also for one another that you may be healed and restored to a spiritual tone of mind and heart. The earnest, heartfelt, continued prayer of a righteous man makes tremendous power available, dynamic in its workings. Apparently, James had not frequented church very much. Because if he had, James would know 
that the last place you want to admit that you have any faults, any slip-ups, or any sins is in church. Because let's be honest, if you admit in church that you're not perfect, you're going to be ostracized, marginalized, and sometimes excommunicated. You know I'm speaking the truth. And here's why. Because the, 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 the doctrine of the Pharisee makes no room for the imperfect. I want to say that again. The doctrine of the Pharisees makes no room for the imperfect. And if you're not perfect and your church is filled with Pharisees, the, 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 the mere admission that you are less than perfect is going to cause you to be ostracized, marginalized, made to feel like a leper, if not excommunicated. So in church, we learn to play the game of perfection and pretend everything's okay. But if it's in the setting of exposure that the, the fervent prayers of a righteous man availeth much, what's going to happen to those places or those prayers in a place of hiddenness or hiding. When we know that God can't heal the things we conceal. I, when I first got, when I, most of you know I'm, I'm much more diplomatic now than I used to be. I'm much more tender and understanding. When I first got saved and we would have um, testimony service and we would always ask people from the, the pews, is there anything we can pray for? There was always one lady that would say, yes, I have a very urgent, unspoken prayer request. It's unspoken. But I need you all to pray for me, but it's unspoken. And I asked her one time, I said, what is it you're afraid of? Why is it always unspoken? She never would answer. Now, years later, I can guarantee you that it was an area of her life she was ashamed of. And she wanted God, desperately wanted God to heal her of it. And yet week after week it remained. Why? Because she never exposed it. She always kept it hid. But we learn to keep things in hiding in the church. This is the reason why I am absolutely adamant that at Real Life Church we will stay a place of grace. I've had people tell me that you're just willing to tolerate sin. You're an idiot. I am not tolerant of sin, but I'm an advocate of healing. And I know that the Pharisees don't heal nobody. And yet time, listen, when somebody has a fault, the, 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 the safest place should be church. And yet people, listen, they, they, there are people, and you know them, that when, when, when they go through something, the very first place they abandon is the church. Why? Because in the church they never discovered grace, they discovered law. Can I show you something? I'm going to show it to you anyhow. Go to the book of John. 
While you're turning there, let me say to you, the law is not an antidote for shame. The law was never designed, we remember the, how many of you remember the teaching, the biology of Christianity? The law was never designed to bring righteousness. The law was never designed to bring life. The law was designed to reveal shortcomings and produce guilt so that when the Messiah came, you would run to him. The law does not relieve shame. Grace is the antidote for shame. If shame is a place of separation from grace, you don't relieve that one by letting them know how separated from grace they are. You relieve the shame by applying grace. If you and I, listen, no matter who it is, whether it's ourselves, it's someone in our family, it's a husband, it's a wife, it's a child, it's a neighbor, if they are staying in hiding because they're ashamed, you don't need to apply the law to them. You need to apply grace to them. And grace destroys the foundation of those barriers. Hmm. John chapter 8. I want to show you how law and grace will respond differently to the same situation. Can I say that again? Law and grace will respond differently to the same situation. John chapter 8. Let's begin reading in verse 3. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery. And having set her in the center of the court, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in adultery in the very act. Do you see that? In the very act. Now, in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. What then do you say? Now, I, I, listen, it's amazing to me that they make sure to point out that she was caught in the very act, yet they only brought her. Something that we have to understand about the legalist is this. They always pick and choose who they're going to stone. In the world of the legalist, justice is never applied justly. Can I say that again? In the, in the world of the legalist, justice is never applied justly. They caught her in the very act and then had the audacity to refer to the law of Moses, which states, if you'll go back to it, I believe it's in Deuteronomy 22, says if you catch them in the act, you bring the man and the woman. And they both die. They caught her in the act, but there ain't no man there. There's only her. This is the law. The law pick and chooses who they're going to stone. Have you ever noticed how some people can get away with things, but not you? And there are some churches, they keep this one, but they get rid of that one when that one did what this one never did. In the world of the legalist, justice is never just. So they asked him, Lord, what do you say? Verse 6, they were saying this, testing him, so that they might have grounds for accusing him. 
But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground. But when they persisted in asking him, he straightened up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. When they heard it, they began to go out one by one, beginning with the older ones. And he was left all alone and the, with the woman where she was in the center of the court. Verse 10, straightening up, Jesus said to her, woman, where are they? Did no one condemn you? In verse 11, she said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, I do not condemn you either. Go from now on, sin no more. Do you notice now the Bible says of Jesus that grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Do you notice the difference in between the law and grace? To the exact same situation, the law wanted to kill. Grace wanted to restore. In fact, go back to James in your mind. You don't have to turn there. But James said that in that place of confession, when we are in such a place of grace and free from the doctrine of the Pharisee, that one among us can come to us and say, you know what, I'm having some issues. And we don't reach down to grab the biggest stone. In that place, the fervent and effectual prayers of a righteous man availeth much. What do they avail to? The restoration and the healing. That the one who is broken exposes himself or herself. And then we pray and they are restored to a spiritual state of mind and heart. Can I say something to you? No one's afraid of grace. But people are really afraid of stones. Some of you have heard heard this, this story before, but it, it just fits, and, I, and I, just, I, need, I feel the need to share it. I have a very dear friend in Oklahoma who we went to Bible school together. And this guy is just an outstanding man. I mean, he's almost like one of these guys you would just say there's no fault in him. He's just, he's just a good guy. He's a giving guy, loves the Lord with all of his heart, served the church in, in every conceivable capacity. I mean, he was just one of the guys, it looked like a little GQ man. He was just like, when I grow up, I want to be like him. He married a girl, seemed, it seemed to be really, seemed to be so good. And they both served in the church. And, and if I named this church, everyone in this place would know it. Then one day we were in Poland and, and I was just down in my little man cave, uh, a cow stall I turned into my study. And um, I was praying, and in prayer, I saw a vision, and she came to me and tried to seduce me. And in the vision, I said, what are you doing? She said, I'll have you just like I had all of them. And instantly, I saw these faces come before me. If memory serves me right, it's about seven or eight different men and Deborah and I hadn't heard about anything didn't know a thing but I knew I had this vision 
And, and, and when we came back to America, we discovered a broken home because what I saw, she had done. She had, she at, at her place of employment, slept with about eight different guys. And my friend did everything. He, he, God is my witness. He tried everything to keep the marriage together. He said, I love you. I forgive you. I don't want to lose you. Let's go to marriage counseling. Let's do whatever we got to do. Let's keep this thing together. She didn't want it. She had totally given herself over to the spirit of seduction. And all she wanted was as many men as she could get. So she divorced him. The church that he had served faithfully for well over 15 years, he was the captain of the ushers team, pulled him aside and said, you can't stay in this church. Exact words. You don't represent us well. When we got back to America, all this had already transpired. I did what I always did. I picked up the phone and called him. But only something happened when I called him this time that had never happened before. He never answered my calls. He always answered my calls. I called and called and called and called. He would not answer. I knew something was up. Then we began to hear the rumors. And I decided, I said, well, you know what? If he's not going to answer the phone, when I, I don't know if I just blocked my number or I took, I don't remember. I, I think I stole somebody else's phone number or phone and called him so that he wouldn't recognize it being me. And when I did, he answered. And he, I, I couldn't tell whether he was drunk or he would have been crying so much his speech was slurred. I said, where are you? He said, I don't want you to see me. I said, I don't care what you want. This ain't about what you want. It's all about me. Where are you? I wasn't going to lose my friend. He wouldn't tell me where he was. So Deborah and I drove to his house, and his, his truck was in the front of his Is this okay this morning? His truck was in the front of his house. So I did what any good preacher would do. I did a B&E. I went to the back side of his house, and I found I could get in, and I crawled in. And when I got into the living room, he come walking down that hallway, and he was shocked to see me standing in his living room. And he he was he smelled like alcohol. He was just he his hair. I mean, he you never saw this guy not looking good. And he 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 looked like he just crawled out from underneath a rock. And he was shocked. And I told him, I said straight up, I am not losing you. You're my friend. I am not losing you. He said, you don't know what I've done. He said, I've been drinking. I said, I don't care what you do. I said, listen, all I ask is this. If you go to the bar and get drunk, let me drive you home. He literally said, aren't you going to condemn me? By this time, I had let her in, and we were all, I, she and I were crying. I said, no, I'm not going to condemn you. I'm going to love you. And I hugged him, and I loved him. Can I tell you that through God's grace, he's now happily married, got a beautiful young son, and living a great life? But unfortunately, he couldn't stay among charismatic Pentecostal churches. He had to go find a good Baptist church who would just love him. No wonder so many of our churches are powerless because we're filled with Pharisees. The first time we find out somebody ain't perfect, we want to go stone them. Why? Because their imperfection might mirror ours. So if we can do away with all, of, I, I'm not even following my notes, but if we can do away with all of the supposed imperfections, then we can hide ours. 
James said, confess your faults, your slip-ups. Come on, James, i got to tell everyone what I've done. Do you want to be healed? See, listen, if your desire is insatiable, your progress will be unstoppable. If you want to be healed bad enough, then I'm, don't be stupid. You're not going to go tell a Pharisee. But find someone who understands grace. Find someone who walks in the love of God and say, I need some help. What do you need help with? I can't stop looking at things I ought not to be looking at. I can't stop going to places I ought not to be going. I've been hurt so bad I lost myself in a bottle. And in that setting, James said we can destroy the foundation of shame by the application of grace. And if you'll be willing to love one another. Then in that place, our prayers become effective. They avail much. What? To the restoration of the hurting. But law, you always, listen, you can always tell who's who by when they discover and catch you in the act. Because when there's an opportunity to stone a legalist, they'll never miss the chance. The legalists love a good stoning. They may not pick up rocks, but they'll hurl some words. Isn't it a sad state that most of our church members are more open at the hair salon than they are at the church? I got to talk and do it. Is this okay? I got to talking to a guy one time who came from the outlaw biker world. I mean the true one percenters. And he told me he found more brotherhood, love, and acceptance among the outlaw bikers than he did in the church. Is it any wonder people stay in hiding? Then once again, this is the reason why real life church, I, I will fight tooth and toenail to maintain a spirit of grace. Why? Not because we're tolerant of sin. But we're addicted to healing. Want people to be made whole. Want those who've had their dreams crushed to come to a place and be restored to a spiritual state of mind. Shame will always cause people to hide. But in a place of grace, there's freedom of exposure. I can tell you what I've done. And you'll chase me down to hug me, not hunt me down to kill me. Mm. Go to the book of John, chapter 1. Man, I'm surprising myself. Y'all ain't even broke into the snacks yet. Everyone say freedom. Freedom is available. We just got to quit hiding. Hiding from one another. Hiding from the church. Worse yet, hiding in the church. But I really think that most of us, especially when it comes to the church, we've learned to hide by experience. I had someone ask me one time, they said, how do you love again when you've been betrayed? I said, you risk being betrayed again. Love is the great paradox of the universe. Love Love makes absolutely no sense. Because to be strong, I've got to be weak. 
To be invulnerable, I need to make myself vulnerable. But if I wall myself off from everyone because I've been hurt, you've heard me say this a thousand times, then every brick I lay on this wall to protect myself from your abuses eventually becomes my prison. And I'm protected, but I'm isolated. I'm protected, but I'm alone. In order to, in order to break out, we have to be willing to expose ourselves. Risk being hurt so that we can be loved. Risk being ostracized so that we can be accepted. Did you know... <laughs> You can't even get saved until you expose yourself as a sinner. John chapter 1, you there? And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw His glory, glory as the only begotten of the Father, full, everyone say full, of grace, and truth. What was he full of? What was he full of? John testified about him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. Verse 16. For of his fullness we have all received. What was he full of? You'll get it. Let's wait a second. If we've received of His fullness, what was He full of? Grace and truth. So as we, re we receive of Him, we're not receiving punishment. We're not receiving the law. We are receiving grace. And grace frees us from our shame. Which is why in the body of Christ, our faces ought to be radiant and never again be shamed. Why? Because we hide ourselves in Him. And He's full of grace and truth. I worked on this illustration all week. Can I show you an illustration? Well, here's the illustration. Now, this, this is a big time production. I hope you appreciate the effort. Here's Jimmy. Jimmy's done some things. He'd be ashamed of you knowing. I did them. Absolutely did them. I would never want you to know I did them. Watch this. Don't miss this. Now I'm in Christ. Old things have passed away. Wait, wait, wait. Y'all didn't get that. Old things, things that I should have never done, but I did. Because like Paul in Romans 7, I tried to be good, but there was nothing in me that was good, so I just did bad because that's what I was. You ought to never be, a, don't ever be astonished that a sinner sins. That's what a sinner does. Old man, new man, in Christ. Old things passed away. Behold, all things have become new. 
So there ain't nothing that I've ever done that I ought to be ashamed of. So shame has no place in me because those old things that cause shame. They buried. They gone. So now when the devil or my relatives rise up to remind me who I was. I tell him that old man is dead. I am not the one who did that. And listen, the, his mercy is new every morning. So if I did something yesterday, I wake up today into the newness of life and I discover new mercies. So I'm not ashamed of what I did because I receive of his grace. And his grace is the antidote to shame. And when I'm unashamed, I'm unafraid. In my life now, there's nothing that I'm, I, there's nothing I'm afraid of you discovering. Why? Because I'm in him. He has freed me from the fear of being found out. You know this. You used to do things. You did them in hiding. You went into hiding so you could do the things you needed to hide you did. That's what shame will do. This is the reason why when he came, he came, grace and truth were revealed by Jesus Christ so he could bring humanity out of hiding and say that in me you've got nothing more to be ashamed of. I remove shame from you. And I'm going to tell you straight up, most of the things that we're afraid of concerning him we're afraid of because of shame. And we're afraid that he's going to respond to us the way they responded to us. They hurled stones at us and we're afraid he's going to hurl stones. And if he hurls stones, they're big ones. But we see in the way that he responded to the woman caught in the very act. That grace responds differently to the very same. I had someone tell me one time, they said, they said you grace preachers. And my first thought was, man, I arrived. They called me a preacher of grace. Shandala da da ya scooby dooby doo. He, he, they thought it was an insult. You preachers of grace, you're just too tolerant of sin. Once he said preacher of grace, I didn't care nothing else he said. I would rather be a preacher of grace. I've sat under the law, y'all. I know what it is to have a preacher make me feel. I've shared with you before. That I, for years I struggled with being who I was in the body of Christ. I was ashamed of my gift because a legalistic preacher told me that that's who you are when God doesn't really care enough to make you a preacher. And so I struggled. Can you imagine being ashamed of the giftings? Being ashamed. And many in the body of Christ, they'll never step up and step out because they've been made to feel that their gifting is somehow inferior to the other gifting. I love something I... I discovered in the writings of Paul, he said, I do magnify my ministry. I thought, what are you saying? You magnify? I had to look it up. What it meant is he put a high value on his ministry. He didn't think that because he wasn't called to the Jews, he was somehow called less than Peter was called. He said, I do magnify my ministry. If God gave it to me, it's valuable. If he gave me the ability to sing, I'm going to sing. If he gave me the ability to do business, I'm going to do business. If he gave me the ability to write poetry, baby, I'm going to write poetry. 
If he gave me the ability to teach, I'm going to do my utmost to teach, but I will not be ashamed of who he made me to be. Shame ought to be, listen, I'm telling you straight up right now, walk in a place of grace. You are not separated from grace. Let grace cover that area that you've been trying to keep hid. And I think Bill Manny was the first one who ever said it. Real life church is a safe place. Stones are not allowed. For of his fullness we have all received. And as if he were struggling to find a way to really say it, he said, grace upon grace. So much grace that grace is flowing over grace and grace is sitting on top of grace. It's like having an ice cream sundae with more ice cream. Just keep piling it up, grace upon grace. Verse 17, for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. Now in closing, go to Psalm 34. I'm going to read you just a few verses and then we'll stand to our feet and be dismissed. I tell you what, I love life free of shame. Some people try to, you know, I mean, and I know a lot of it's ingesting, but I've had people like ridicule me because of my bald head. You think I care? I mean, seriously, dude, I don't look in the mirror and kiss myself. I ain't in love with myself. There ain't nothing you can say to make me feel bad. There ain't nothing anyone can say to make me feel ashamed. I kiss my wife in public whether you like it or not. Shandai. I am who I am. I think we ought to bring the Popeye Award out of dust. I've had all I can stand. I can't stand me no more. Hallelujah, Father. I'm feeling good. I'm feeling his presence right now. Be free. It's more than just a song. It's a lifestyle. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and he answered me, and delivered me from all my fears. They looked to him and were radiant, and their faces will never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and rescue them, rescues them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. The reason I read that is this. The only place where shame will never again erect another barrier of fear in our lives is in him. If we stay in Him, we look to Him. When we're in that moment when fear is trying to rise up and say, Lord, what if they ever discover? Then you're living like the old man. Receive new mercies. Look to Him. Let His grace overflow you. And as His grace, remember, as you step out in exposure not to be ostracized or stoned, 
but so you can be covered. And as you're covered with grace, you've got nothing more to be afraid of. And I've said this before, and it'll be the last thing I say until I say something else. It matters not where you come from. It really does. Everyone has a past. And as far as I can tell, now I'm no theologian, but I'm an avid student, but as far as I can tell, there's only ever been one who's perfect. The rest are just pretenders. It's not important where you come from. It's only important where you're going. Stand to your feet. Because where we're going is deeper into Him. Into a place of such total and absolute freedom. It's okay to dance even when you ain't got no rhythm. Because you're free. Did you know there's a verse in the New Living Translation where Peter said, act like free men? We can praise him unashamed. Well, what are they going to think if I run over the pews? They'll duck. What if I run around the church? Maybe they'll join me. And if they don't, just yell choo-choo all by yourself. Lift your hands and we'll be dismissed. Just receive his grace. Right now, his grace can flow like honey into every little nook and cranny. And as you receive his grace, you'll find fear evaporating. Because you're no longer operating as an old man. You're operating as a new man. And in him, you ain't never done nothing but good. Isn't that what Acts chapter 10, verse 3, you know Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the one about doing good and healing all? That's who you are. You're in him. You ain't done nothing but good. Now, Father, in Jesus' name, release your grace over your people. Let that foundation that supports shame be absolutely dismantled, annihilated. Let it dissolve completely. We didn't even get to touch on religion. But if we deal with shame, really religion will have nothing over you either. So Father, I declare in Jesus' name freedom. Complete freedom. Freedom in the emotional realm. Freedom in the physical realm. Freedom in the spiritual realm. Father, let pain dissolve. Let fear evaporate. Make your people free. And everyone said, Amen. Love on one another and you're dismissed to go in the grace of God.